So I said I was going to preach kind of fast, right? Okay. All right. So that's, that's how I'm going to do it. I got plenty of time, but here we go. The Good God. This is the last week of the series, The Good God. And I hope you've embedded it in your mind and heart by now. The heart of this message is about when things don't go your way, when it's worse than that. When everything stinks, when you think life is coming apart, when it hurts more than it ever has before, in those moments, you may not say it, you may not speak it out loud, but that's when, we, that's when something just kind of creeps up inside of us and makes us wonder if God really cares about me. Does God really love me? Is he really good? And the Apostle Paul says something that just is staggering when you think of it and you're close to one of those situations. It's Romans chapter 8. We've read it every week of this series, starting at verse 28. He says, and we know. Maybe some of us don't know all the time, but that's where he starts it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Full stop. That's what we're supposed to know. Doesn't mean everything that comes our way is good, because it's not, right? But somehow God causes all things to work together for good, even if we can't figure it out. He gives us some theology, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And then get this one. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's God's plan. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we can be overwhelmed by the truths of these verses. We've spent weeks together as a church just thinking about these. I know we've talked about them in between Sundays. It's just they're so staggering to us to think about. They put us in awe. That somehow, God, you can take the very worst of what we see and somehow you can bring good. We just struggle to understand that sometimes. We do thank you for the examples that we have of it in the Bible. They give us some point of reference, some way to, to think about this outside of our own lives. And so today, we want to say that we trust you and we believe you, even when we can't understand or see it ourselves. We know you do. So help us now as we think of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so real quickly, before we go over to Genesis chapter 50, let me just remind you, these were the, the four big things that we came through over the last few weeks. That the good that we're talking about, this good God who causes all things to work together for good, that good has a purpose. So your good is connected to God's purpose. And, and just, you know, don't think it's a freestanding thing. It's not separated out there. You're not so individualistic that it's only about you and yours, okay? This is connected to something much, much bigger. It's God's purpose. So whatever you had to face, whatever you've had to go through, whatever it is that's come your way, God's going to take that and he's going to bring good from it. And all of that is about his purpose, even if you don't get to see it and understand it now. Second part we talked about was how your good grows out of God's foreknowledge and predetermined will. 
Okay, so God's foreknowledge. In other words, we talked about the sovereignty of God and how he knows all things. You and I are down here on the ground. We're at the foot of the mountain. He's at the top of the mountain. He sees it all. We don't see it all. Did you ever play Battleship as a kid? Play Battleship? You know, there, there's always those people that cheat. You know, they want to get up and go get a drink of water and look on the other side. Right? All right. The, God is not cheating, but he's on the other side too. You know, he knows what's on that side. He knows what's on your side. You're over here putting little pegs in, trying to figure out where things are. He already knows. He, he knows both sides. He knows all the sides. I just have to think of these things simple, you know, that, that helps me understand it. But your good is, it grows out of this foreknowledge of God that he already knows. He knew it before, he knows it now, he knows it forever. The third part of it, we spoke about this about two weeks ago, is how your good is to be conformed to the image of his son. If you ever wake up and say, why me? <laughs> if you ever wake up and go, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? I'm going to give you the most theological answer you'll ever get so that you might be conformed to the image of his son. Whatever it is, one of the good things that comes out of it will be that he makes you more like Christ. Makes you more like Christ. And that'll just that'll change the way you look at your enemies. Now, you may have been like me. You know, Part of your life you're thinking, I don't have any enemies. Everybody loves me, right? And then the older you get, man, that changes, right? That absolutely changes. I don't know why people don't like me, but sometimes they just don't, you know. And, and people will set themselves against you, and they'll work against you, and they'll undermine you, they'll betray you. I mean, all that kind of stuff happens, but you can't lose sleep over it, right? You could lay in bed and go, why, why, why? But I'm telling you, just don't worry about it. Because, number one, you'll never figure out why people do what they do. They do what they do because they do what they do. And that's the best I can give you on that, okay? But here's what I can tell you God is doing. God is going to take that, whatever they did, to you, and he's going to use it to help make you more like Christ. And that word conformed, you know, it has the idea of pressure. And frankly, most of us don't change without pressure, right? You know, if, so, if everything is good and everything's easy and somebody just comes along and they tell you to do something, you know, some of us will listen to us, we'll think about that, and we'll think, that's a little harder than I want to do, so I don't think so. And then when the pressure comes, all of a sudden you can do it, right? That's what happens. You don't want to make any lifestyle health changes or whatever. And then the doctor says, but if you don't do this, you're going to die. All of a sudden you got some pressure. You're ready to do something else. You know, it, it's conformed. And so this idea of conform works like that. God will take the pressure in your life and he'll use it to make you more like Christ. And you'll see that again in a moment from an Old Testament example. And then the last one we looked at was... The process side of it. Your good is a process. And we looked at the, the word predestination, that God predestined us all in Christ to, to belong to him, to become like his son, to reflect the glory of Christ in the world. That's what you were predestined to do. And because of that, God calls you to himself. And when you say yes, then he justifies you. None of us deserve it. Remember we did the O.J. Simpson thing? Where were you when the trial of the century, the verdict was read, and everything was, he's not guilty, and we all went, he's so guilty. Doesn't matter. He was declared not guilty. So that's what justification means. You were declared innocent of your sin and righteous in its place. That's what God declared you. And all of us were over there like, well, the, gl the glove fit, but it didn't matter. You know, remember that, the, the glove, if the glove fits, you must acquit or whatever, whatever that statement was. But that was it. And the last part of it's glorification, which is future to us. It's what God will do in our lives, in our bodies even, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we looked at all of that. So he's a good God. 
That's our point. <clears throat> now, I made a reference the first week and every week in some way to Joseph. And if you want to look at the text, it's going to be in Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read a little bit of this. I'm going to read from verse 15 down to verse 20. And I'm just going to read you the last little snippet. It's something I've told you, I've referred to, I've talked about it. But I just want you to hear the actual words as they're given to us in the Bible. okay? Because Joseph is one of the best examples we have of, of this. Because it would not, I mean, I wasn't there, I don't know, Paul doesn't say. But it would not surprise me at all at, if Paul was writing those words in Romans 8 and he was thinking about Joseph. Would not surprise me at all. Here's what it says. And, and this is after... Joseph's family has come to Egypt. They were starving. They didn't have food in Israel. They were making their way to Egypt like everyone else. Joseph you know, knew who they were. He had made himself known to them. They went back, got their father, brought him back. Joseph got them all set up. He took care of them. And then their father died. And when their father died, we pick up the story. This is the last chapter of Genesis. This is what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said... What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? Did they do him wrong? They sold him as a slave. <laughs> Absolutely they did him wrong. Number one, they sold him as a slave when he got sold again in the secondary market <laughs> to a man named Potiphar. Things were looking up for him, but even that went bad. And he wound up in prison. You know some people have been to prison? I do. <laughs> but he went to prison. In prison, something good happened. God gave him a dream, and he looked like this dream was going to be his ticket out of prison. But that guy betrayed him, left him in jail. But God still worked, and he got out of jail. And he wound up with the Pharaoh as his audience, and he rose to great power. But when he looked back over his life, it would have been easy for him to say, yeah, it all started with my brothers, right? The whole thing started there. So they're worried. Is he going to now pay us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? By the way, that's a great way to think about it, right? You've done somebody wrong. At some point you wake up going, ooh, what's going to happen here? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. Lie. He didn't say that, right? The brothers, they, they, they did Joseph wrong, and now that their fathers did, they're still lying about it, trying to save their own skin, right? Now, please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. They laid it on heavy. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers came and they fell down before him and said, We are your servants. They're throwing themselves at his mercy. Which, by the way, he dreamed about when he was a little kid. Remember that? Joseph had a dream. And in this dream, these weird things happened. And, and the interpretation of the dream was, One day your brothers will come and they'll kneel before you. You're the youngest, but one day they will kneel before you. Fast forward many decades, and here they are, kneeling before their, their brother. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, 
in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Nobody was thinking when they sold Joseph and went back and told their dad an animal killed him. Nobody was thinking that one day, not only would their lives, but the lives of their spouses, their children, and their grandchildren would all be hanging in the balance. Nobody thought that. But that's exactly how it worked out. Something that God knew in advance. And when Joseph was going through all the junk, he didn't know that. Nobody else did too. But the God on top of the mountain, the God who walks around the battleship game, knew where all the pieces were. And that's exactly how he saved what would be the nation of Israel. The ancestors of Jesus himself. Goes back to this. Now here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you five of these real quick, okay? give you five of these. They all come out of this story of Joseph and his life, but they're all built on this Romans 8 idea that God works all things for good to those who love him. Okay, so that's what I'm doing. I'm taking that foundation that he's the good God. He works all things for good. We're using Joseph as our example, and I'm going to pull five things out of it real quick. I'm going to put them in application kind of statements. Okay, statements that just are for us, you know, for as individuals. How do we apply all of this to our lives? How do we look at it? And we'll give you five of those statements. Here's the first one. <clears throat> it's a real simple statement. There's no way to know up front. That's an application statement. There's no way to know up front. There's no way for you to know up front when you're going through it what's hanging in the balance. We just said it. Joseph's brothers their spouses, their children, their grandchildren, all of their lives were hanging in the balance. These children weren't even born yet, and their lives were hanging in the balance. You can't even uh, factor in all the other potential bad things that could have happened to any of these people when everybody's starving and things go haywire, right? I mean, it's a bad circumstance. People are traveling as far as they can, can come down to Egypt to get food because that's the only place to get food. That's it. You can imagine all the problems going on in that society around there. And so you just, you know, tack that on to the very lives and the fact they might starve to death. Okay? All of it. There's no way that Joseph or his brothers or anybody could have known that up front. And so what I'm trying to say to you is you can't know up front either. I don't know what you might have in mind right now. You may be thinking of something that happened to you years ago. You may be thinking of something that's going on right now. But I just want you to know, I'm trying to say it as an application, you can't know up front what hangs in the balance. Because it may have something to do with the generation after you. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, it may have something to do with your life now. You may see it a year or two or ten years down the road, but it might be that you don't see anything from it. It actually matters a generation away. It may What you go through now may matter to people who are not yet born. That's what the example gives. That's kind of mind-boggling, right? And, and then, you know, I, I know we get very individualistic, right? We're, we're Americans. We were raised in Western culture. It's all about me. You know, I want to think about me. But it, it's just bigger than that. Whatever you're going through, it may not be all about you at all. It's about you. It's about getting you where you need to be, doing the kind of things you need to do, taking the steps you need to take, whatever it is, because other things in God's plan and purpose, you're an integral part of that, but you got to do this to get to that. Right? I know that's, that's just kind of abstract. you got to do this to get to that. Otherwise, if you don't do this, that never happens. And that's the way God works in our lives sometimes, and you can't know it up front. Let me give you the second one. 
application statement. Here it is. <clears throat> Your choice will always be better or bitter. Every time you hit this thing, every time you hit a big one, this is going to be your choice. Even if you don't want to think about it, you're going to feel, you'll feel the bitterness, right? Don't feel bad if you feel bitter, okay? Because it's just a feeling. Your choice is going to be bitter or better. Look, I don't blame you. You know, somebody does you wrong. Somebody, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, and you're just, you know, you're just all out of sorts with it. I don't blame you at all for feeling bitter. If I was in your place, I'd feel bitter too. If you were in mine, you'd probably feel bitter. But after that, we get to make choices, right? Because a feeling is just a feeling. That's all it is. Your feelings may not even be close to truth, but that's what they are, right? They're just feelings. It's not that they're not important. It's not that they're not valid. It's just you can't live your life based on a feeling. That's it. All you married people, you know that, right? You, you don't stay married because you feel in love, right? That's not how it works. That's not why. You, you love your spouse, then you don't. Then you love them again, then you don't. Then you love them again, right? I know, just elbow your husband right there. That, that's how that works. It's just a feeling. Feelings are great, but they can also be, they can also fool you, right? And so you feel bitter about what happens, but you might not know this could lead to something that's going to be so good, and you never would have gotten to that without this. And when you look back one day, you'll go, man, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I went through that. I'm glad that that forced me this way, and it led to whatever. You know what I mean? You just don't know yet. Remember, that's the first one. You, you, you can't know up front. But your choice is always going to be bitter or better, which, which, by the way, that's the part you can control. You can decide. If you feel bitter, if you're going to camp out and stay there, you get to decide that. You get to decide if you're going to forgive or not when someone's done you wrong. Which, by the way, forgiveness is a one-way street. One-way street. You don't need anybody else to forgive, just you. <laughs> you know, they, they may not even care. They may not want you to forgive them, right? They may hope that you just stay over there and you stay up every night just being bitter and mad about whatever it is they did. And they're over there going, ha, 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 living in your head. That's what they hope. you got to forgive, right? you got to let that go because that's the part you can control. Now, whether you get to reconcile, because reconciliation takes two. If two divided sides are going to come together, it takes two divided sides to come together. That's reconciliation. But forgiveness, it only takes one, just one. And, and so, again, your choice is going to be better or bitter, and you can decide, I'm not going to stay in the bitterness, I'm not going to stay in the unforgiveness, I'm going to do something else, and may God make me better for it. That's your choice. That's the thing God has put on your plate. Like All this happened, and it's like God walks in, and he lays option number one and option number two before you. He's not going to do it for you. He says, but you get to pick. You get to pick. That, that's the way he made you. He made you a thinking, feeling, choosing creature. And he's going to let you do it. He's going to let you have that choice. So your choice will be better or bitter. I was talking about this with someone this week, and um, I was trying to think, you know, when was the time when I was really done wrong that just kind of really bothered me? And, and instantly an example came to my mind. So my mother died before her sisters, three girls. My mom was the middle, and she died first. Uh, the youngest sister was married to an attorney. They got together with the oldest sister and they figured out a plan. They wrote up a, a codicil, an amendment to the, to the will. Because my grandfather had already died, grandmother was about to die, they got two sisters still alive, my mother's gone. They write up an amendment to the will. They take it to my grandmother in the hospital. Three days before she died, they got her to sign it. 
To this day, I don't believe she knew what she signed because I thought she loved me. You know, why would she do that? Anyway, she signed it. When she died, everything went to the two sisters because it was written up in the will that it would go to the three sisters or their descendants, which would have been my sister and I because my mother was already deceased. So what they wanted was to get everything between the two of them. They didn't want anything coming to my sister and I because my mother was already deceased. So basically they wrote my mother out of the will and she was already dead, but they wrote her out of the will. So uh, after, you know, after we found out about that, because an attorney sent us a letter explaining we've been written out of the will, so I called my aunt. I thought she loved me, you know. I was like, well, what's going on? You know, she said, my aunt told me, call the attorney. Well, I'd already called the attorney. I had a letter. <laughs> so I'd already done that. I was trying to talk to my aunt. She didn't want to talk to me. My, so my sister calls, and my sister, you know, there was one, one item my grandfather had always said he would give to my sister, and my sister called about that. And, uh, and they just flat told her no. Personal property item, but we're not going to do it. They didn't even give us back the pictures of our own kids that sat on the, the TV in the living room. Like, I couldn't even get back pictures of my own children that I gave my grandmother. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I'm telling you that way because I just want to know how bad it was. These were my aunts, you know. They used to give me Christmas presents when I was a little kid. I thought they loved me, but you can't have your pictures back. All right, whatever. So that was just dirty, you know? It was just low down and dirty. But my sister and I, and I don't know, I can't really tell you how my sister handled it, but, but I had to decide, am I just gonna sit there and let that bother me and stir me up and keep me upset? Am I, am I gonna do that or am I gonna let that thing go and move on? It's still a fun story to tell when you need to tell a story, you know? It's still a great story to tell, but, but I, you know, I. I only bring the story up when I'm trying to make a point. I don't go home and think about it at night. It doesn't bother me. You know, I just, look, if they wanted my interest in the property, I would have given it to them. You know, I didn't live there. I didn't want to go back there. I didn't need it. You know, I would have given it to them. But that's the way they did it. Everybody's got a story like that somewhere where somebody important to you did you wrong. Everybody's got one of those stories. And your choice will, every single time, will be better or bitter. And, and again, Joseph could have been bitter, right? When his brothers came to see him, he could have said, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen, and I got you now. You know, I mean, that could have been his approach. It could have been bitter. But, but decades had passed. We don't know the exact number of years, but decades had passed, and, and there's nothing in the end, chapter 45, 46, all the way to 50, there's nothing here that makes Joseph look bitter at all toward his brothers. Nothing. He chose a better path just like you and I have to do. All right, let me do the third one. And I put in an application statement. The road to righteousness is traveled daily, not in a day. The road to righteousness is traveled daily, not in a day. In other words, you can't, you can't uh, jump on 95 and get there in one day. Okay, this is a road you have to travel every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's just day after day after day after day. And again, this is Joseph as our example. Okay. We don't know how he felt when he first got sold into slavery. We don't know how he felt when he first got thrown into prison. We don't know that. We don't know how he thought about his brothers. What we do know is in the days along the way, by the time he finally saw his brothers, he was a different kind of person. He, he exemplifies for us a kind of righteousness. He forgives them. He not only forgives them, he treats them well. He's, it's within his power to take care of them, and he does it. 
There's a kind of righteousness that, that he is demonstrating before us. And what I'm trying to say is that that kind of righteousness that he has, that didn't happen the day before. Like it wasn't a daily thing. He just, boom, he was there. He had been working on that every single day as the kind of person that he was. And that's what I'm saying to you and I. You say, well, if I was in his place, they would have been toast, right? If I was in Joseph's place, we wouldn't be reading chapter 50 right now. It'd be a whole different thing, right? That may be how you think about it. But I'm telling you, Joseph didn't get there in one day. It happened daily, daily. And that's how it works for you and I. That, go back to Romans 8, that pressure to be conformed to the image of Christ, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens a little bit each day. We become, you know, forgive yourself sometimes when you slip up, right? You come to church and cuss. It'll be all right. You got to forgive. <laughs> Julie got that one. <laughs> Sorry, Julie. <laughs> it wasn't Julie, by the way. Don't think it was Julie. But what I'm trying to say is forgive yourself. You're going to do something that you wish you hadn't done. That, that's going to happen. You haven't arrived yet. None of us have. So you have to forgive yourself. And just know that, that you know, you're on the same, like you're trying to be on God's side. Like, God, keep changing me. Make me what you want me to be. But today... Yeah, let's just write this one off. It wasn't a good day, but tomorrow's a new day, right? We'll keep going. This righteousness of Christ in us, it's made daily, not in a day. So the road to righteousness traveled daily, not in a day. Here's number four. Our lives are best seen through the lens of humility. Our lives are best seen through a lens of humility. And what you have to do for a moment, you just kind of have to, in your mind, step outside of yourself. And look at your life the way other people might see it. Not the bad people, but, I mean, a third party. Look, try to look at your life like if somebody else knew you. And all they saw was what you did and what you said. You know, if that's all they saw. I mean, it's really hard for us to do that, right? Because we're on the inside looking out. We got all these thoughts and feelings. But just try to step out of yourself for a moment. Think about your life, what you do, what you say, and how that looks to other people. Try to see it as a third party. And when you can do it like that, understand that through the lens of humility, that's the best way to look at your life. Right? A lens of humility. Now, now look at something. If you, if you were in Genesis 50, let me give you a verse or a little phrase to underline. It's in verse 19. So his brothers came and they say all this stuff, which is an absolute lie. And it just breaks Joseph's heart. He weeps about it. But this is what he says. Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? That's a statement of humility right there. Am I in God's place? It's not my place to bring the hammer down. I don't know if you deserve it or you don't. And probably Joseph was thinking, you know, if you hadn't done that, we wouldn't be doing this right now and all these lives your family and all these other families and all these other people none of that would be going on if you hadn't done that back then he's not saying what you did back then was good right it's just what you meant for evil god meant for good and that brings some humility to our lives if, if, if we if we can see our lives through a lens of humility i mean Think of it like this. When Joseph said, am I in the place of God? There's an answer there where he could have said, yes, by the way, I think I am. Because I got the power of life and death over you right now. But he didn't take that. He understood his place is way down here and God's up here. Am I in the place of God? It is not my place to pass judgment on you, 
to give you consequences for your actions or to do any of those things. What's in Joseph's power, what he could say, what's in my power is to do you good. And that's what I'm going to do. That's humility. That's humility. Understanding that there is a God who's bigger than all of this and worked something out that none of us could have understood up front. Humility. All right, last one, number five. Your peace is always linked to trust. That's what this is going to come down to, okay? Your peace, the peace that comes from God, the peace that you have of mind, the peace you have in life, it's going to be linked to your trust in God. Because we've been throwing this up here every week, the good God, the good God. And everybody knows the answer. Is God good? Yes, He is. But when, when everything goes haywire, it's do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do you really trust Him when everything else is... When you want to give up and quit, run away, whatever it is, whatever your strategy is for you know, when things go bad. Some people run away, some people quit, some people fight, some people throw a fit. Whatever, you, whatever your strategy is, when, when it hits that, do you trust Him? Is He good? Do you trust Him? Because if you're going to have peace in your life, it will always be linked to your trust in God. Now, if everything's going well, you can be home, serene, got your feet kicked up, watching your fireplace, you know, every, TV, everything's great, okay? But when things come apart, if you're still going to have peace, it'll be directly linked to your trust in God. That somehow you know it's going to be all right because you trust Him. That's what he's asking of us today. That's what Joseph exemplifies for us today. There, there's, no, there's no specific thing that I can point to, no specific verse okay, that I can point you to. I could just ask you to read in the last part of Genesis the life story of Joseph and what happened to him. Okay? That's all I can do. But you have to see that by the end of his life, he is not a man of war. He is not a man of conflict. He is not a man of retribution. He is not a man of revenge. He is a man of peace. And he got there day by day by day because he trusted in God. Now, again, I was talking to someone about this this week. Joseph has that dream. First dream that's recorded that God ever gave him. The, the interpretation is your brothers will one day bow before you. Well, he goes and tells them that <laughs> pretty quick. Didn't go over well. His brothers didn't appreciate that at all, right? That was not something a humble person does. Well, younger people tend not to be as humble. You know, that's just, we, we, life beats that out of us sometimes. We become more humble, which is a good thing, right? But by the end of his life, he was a humble man who had trusted in God. Every dream he had ever had that was recorded in the Bible had already come true. The only one that had not occurred yet was his brothers. The first dream he had was his brothers coming and bowing before him. But the same Joseph who trusted God with all those other things, trusted God with this thing. Your peace will always be linked to your trust in God. All right, those are the five I have for you today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and pray. I want you to have a little time just to talk with God. If any part of this meant something to you, something stood out to you, that's the thing you should take to God. That's the thing you should pray to Him about. All right, let's stand together. We'll pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. You are, you have revealed yourself to us and we're so grateful for everything we know, but you're so much bigger than what we know. 
and we don't have the wisdom and perspective to be able to piece everything together and understand the will the wives of our life we don't and we confess that to you but we do trust you and we want to trust you no matter what we face so we give you this time of response in jesus name amen